meditating on the fact that perhaps history doesn't always remember the winners at the end of a season. Welcome to Hand of Pod. thing to say before anything else, of course, is that you'll surely all already be aware that River Plate have been relegated. The others sitting here are seeing me crying my eyes out at the moment. I can't believe it. (laughs) Nor can anybody here, I suspect. It's something that a lot of Argentine fans never thought uh, would happen. Anyway, I'm Sam Kelly, as ever, and I'm here today in Ashley Pellet's lovely apartment. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Listeners will remember Ashley from our Super Classico, um, sorry, from our Super Classico review, I was about to say preview podcast, uh, Australian Dan, whose voice you just heard. Hello. Sebastian Garcia. Hola. English Dan. Hello. And a very special guest indeed. Um, we thought we'd give him a leg up and give him the chance to be on a proper podcast for a change. <laughs> <laughs> Please say hello, Tim Vickery. Boludo. <laughs> um, we are, of course, trying to review the Clausura as much as anything else, um, because the season, the domestic season in Argentina, with apologies to Gimnasia and San Martín de San Juan, uh, obviously we can't record Thursday night because the Copa America starts on Friday, the domestic season in Argentina is effectively over now, um, as much as anybody outside the country cares anyway, with River's relegation. Ashley, you were there, so we're actually going to start with, with you, if you're ready to, to talk. I think it's First of all, congratulations getting out alive. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm in- incredibly lucky to get out because the, the, how everything happened and how I could never be able to get out, it was like very, there was a very tiny little moment that I could get out and I would be probably washed in that blue things or somebody robbing, you know, the camera or whatever. Everything started perfectly. Sunny day. So you were there with the TV camera? Yeah, but we don't shoot with those huge cameras and as stupid camerographers. Oh, okay. I have those little artsy little cameras one of the things that and a very cute Brazilian female okay. camera, you know, cam- now my Bra- I have a Brazilian camera. camera. So I just want to say that one of the things that people abroad might have missed in the um, in kind of previous to the game was the day before a Brazilian TV crew got attacked outside the stadium. They were oh, really? On. Yeah. A day or two before the, the fans went to the Monumental to start hanging out the flags at the stands ah. um, and there was a Brazilian TV camera crew kind of reporting on the, the situation and yeah apparently they got no, you got oh, no. we started well we no we have a we have a good I mean it's not about the camera I think it's about the attitude too nobody attacks two cute girls oh really <laughs> no but we started with a good question you know I we get there, it was like lovely, we were talking about, so what if your team loses today? The worst case scenario, what would you do? Well, I would be really upset. And you also, I always pick, you know, by common sense, people to talk to who don't, you know, who have oh, good man, aspects, let's say. And then we had our interviews, and then I was going to watch the game with San Martin, where the museum is. 
that side. Yeah, we actually walked in there. Which is the which is effectively the, the posh seats. Posh <laughs> seats, exactly. Right I was going to see the game with my posh friends from the River Club members, whatever. And then they told me, I said, it's all good, but you cannot take the camera. People here are very annoyed with camera. Why don't we give you the choice? Some co studio, some guy walked us through the bottom and then put me in Belgrano, where the press is upstairs and we were down in the Planta Baja. Perfect family setting. Everybody was actually happy, almost no, nothing, not, nothing was going on. First part ended peacefully. For, and then we had the, you know, a little bit of, one cameraman was already attacked during the break because that was from a show. I, you probably know that there's a stupid TV show that they make fun of people all the time. UPC, UCPC, CQC. Kaya King Kaya. Okay. So that team, they were like, there was a reporter and a camera, and they asked somebody something, and there was a little bit of, you know, rumble there. They just took him out, and then they kick him out. Nothing else. Goal, they missed the goal, the penal, and the, you know, of course, there's a lot of, and then after um, Pavone and Mr. Penal, there was a dead silence. It was like, and then you could hear Cordobeses. They're like, what? It was insane that moment. I think that's probably what it was like across Buenos Aires as a whole. Even, yeah. not, even people like who aren't river fans yeah. were. Tell us your poetic line that you told me about even the silence. I could, I could hear my eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking silent. And then suddenly I saw, and then I saw a group of people coming in, but they were not like the family seat members of the Belgrano Baja Tribuna. You know those little kids with, you know, lots of facial jewelry, painted hair, like aspect of like they snorted something super <laughs> strong right before they get in there. And then they started like sort of four of them there, five of them there, and they went closer to Borachos del Tablón. And then normal people started to leave because... Back then, already, the borrachos were burning seats down. Mm. And they started burning our seats, where we were. So everybody started to move towards the door. And because we had all the handicapped people there, they couldn't block mm. us. Mm. Thank God right. they let us out immediately, like really fast. And this is another thing, because normally, as anyone who's listening who's been to a game in Argentina in the last two years will know, um, in the top flight at least obviously in the, the lower divisions there are no away fans allowed in but normally the, the home fans are kept in the stadium until the away fans are safely away from the ground and after yesterday's game it was that was reversed essentially because yeah. they realised I think that River were going to cause a lot of no, the thing, well, the but the thing they was... let people in into the stadium yeah. out of nowhere those kids were not like ticket holders or oh I'm so late to the game no they were <laughs> on purposely put there yeah. and they started making all the I mean, I guess... Yeah. So, I heard this actually, like, um, because in the immediate aftermath of this, this is kind of another more political thing that's come out. We're talking uh, Monumental Stadium's being shut down at the moment. Provisionally, like, possibly even for a month, which would mean it wouldn't hold down. Well, the they they reported a week early. I don't think that will happen. But the, one of the issues was that I think 45,000 people were meant to go in yesterday and in the end 53,000 people, 53, people went in. Well, there was a whole... Think about it this yeah. way. What is the capacity of that stadium normally? 52,000? 
It's around More or less? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we should, we should explain because there was, it's an, there was a tribuna totally system. empty between Cordobeses yeah. and the Palco Presidencial yeah. that's right across from Borrachos. Nobody was sitting there. It was totally mm-hmm. empty. And yet there were 50. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. even more exactly. people. The, 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 the empty sections are because uh, the mayor of Buenos Aires insists for safety reasons on. Right. There were that, that many seats. Yeah. I have two things to say about this. Is one is that I, I mentioned this in a previous episode, and it happened to me as when I when I went there to River Plate as a kid. I went to watch River Gimnasia, and then for the second half they opened the doors for anybody mm-hmm. to, to which was around the stadium mm-hmm. and they enter for free so that's probably what happened uh, with, with all these people coming to your section and then uh, the order for the exit for, for home and away fans was reversed but only because River fans started creating this chaos yeah. and this violence mm-hmm. and so they had to they had to open the doors they had to stop the game for, for, for starters because we didn't get to the 90th minute it was stopped one minute before and then uh, Belgrano fans had to stay there and they actually left the stadium three hours after. Yeah, yeah, after like 10 o'clock. Well, yeah. Palco Presidencial, I was talking to my friend on the phone. He's like, we cannot get out of here. Because he called me, he's like, are you okay? When we get out, there is nothing on the street, everything was fine. I actually even recorded, um, okay, it's a really sad day for Buenos Aires, blah, blah, blah. Quietly, very like smooth. <laughs> and then we started walking. And then I wanted to go into a Belgrano fans will be to shoot what they're doing, how they're celebrating. They didn't let me into that side. In front of the gas station in the corner of Alcorta and Oduondo, these kids started attacking press members. Because Cronica and all these TV stations, they go with a huge camera, somebody who's crying to this distance. No, boludo, no lo haces así. That's bad journalism. Could you translate no, boludo, no lo into English? No, idiots, you shouldn't be doing it. And Cronica TV is very hard to explain. It is so hard It's yellow journalism. As it's tabloid journalism. Yeah, worst, worst kind of journalism ever done. And they broke the camera. They broke his camera. They started running. They even flipped the big van they had, you know, live van. And then my producer said, Asta, we gotta go. And I'm like, we can't. We have to be here and show people what's really happening. Then I saw my camera running. We were hiding. (laughs) We were hiding behind a van. And we helped this guy who was in a wheelchair to be put in the van. It was his van. And they were like, listen, you're not going to get it. That moment, police was already uh, bull, you know, shooting people. Like there were bullets, plastic bullets in mm-hmm. the water with the blue thingy. So if you get hit with it, then they pick you up from the wherever you are in the city, supposedly. Um, we get into the van and we drove like 10 blocks. And then they dropped us off. And said, you know, we were very... I mean, we were really lucky to get up. Then they closed everything. They shut down the gates. And people stayed around the... Supposedly, they were supposed to be around the stadium. But obviously, they destroyed the entire neighborhood. Sure. Can I I just briefly hijack your your excellent podcast just to ask Asli a question? This is something that fascinates me. Um, People like myself who make a living from, from this... I think we all, or we all should have moments of doubt. You know, I have them usually when I'm when I'm shaving. You know, getting up in eleven thirty in the morning, thinking it's great getting up at eleven thirty in the morning. But then wondering, you know, having an existential crisis. Why? How can I justify spending so much time on this activity? 
And, and this was something that, that I was born into. But that's not your case. You weren't born into football. You've, you've discovered the thing relatively recently. To become a journalist. Yes. Yeah. So when, when you see incidents like this and, and the, the, the insane passions that this activity generates in people, what, what are your feelings about this? And do you think this is just this mad, this is mad, this is crazy? No, no, not at all. But I've been to worse situations when I was reporting about politics and, you know, economical crisis and I've been gassed, I've been bulleted, I've been ran, you know, ran over. I've always, I like the chaos. But, but this was politics or economics? Yes. okay. Yeah. The, the, I draw the line, I draw the line like this. If I'm reporting about something that's really important, which was the case in this one, Nina looked at me and said, Asa, they are not doing anything for the humanity. This is bullshit. We don't have to shoot this. We can go. It doesn't worth our lives or what we have filmed already. We can lose everything. So let's go home and let's give it a rest because we're going to watch it on television. That's when I stop. But that doesn't... I wanted to see what was really happening for my curiosity because I'm a curious person. <laughs> Because I knew that they were going to show, Kronika was going to show something, but I was going to be the only one who really knows what really happened. I'm a selfishly curious journalist too. What, I don't even have to share it with the rest of the people. What conclusions do you come to about the human being? I mean, you, you, you travel to, to, to Kurichiba, I think. With, with we that. couldn't. That was a big, 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 sad story. I will tell you later. But people devoting so much time and so much passion and so much energy to this activity... How, how do you feel about this? Okay, when I was a student and I was studying, living in Turkey and I was a high school student, we used to do that too. When you don't have anything else to do, you totally support your team and you go with them. You know, Galatasaray was a really good team when I was little. I didn't have to go to school the next day, so I would <laughs> go anywhere with Barra Brava. Or so it Torsira. comes down to politics, economics, and not going to school. Exactly. <laughs> but I understand. I mean, if I didn't have anything else to do, I would follow my team, if, especially if they're winning. Maybe when they're losing and going down, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would be there to watch the sad part. But I understand. But this was not about fans. This was organized crime. This is about politics. These people are not real fans. Real fans left and they went home crying. People who destroyed Nunez, I don't think they were really river fans. No, they were, they were mercenaries. That they get paid to do this in course. this country. And they're going to lose a lot of money with the river going down. That's, yeah. that's for sure. That's what they were angry about. Exactly. They were angry because they were not going to get gonna paid anymore. Income, yeah. and, and this is the reason that during the first leg... Um, now, I saw a few agency reports that were basically copied and pasted into British newspapers seeming to suggest that the major, the, the four or five people who ran up and grabbed Adalberto Roman happened in the second leg in the Monumental on Sunday. It, it didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> it was during the first leg in, in Cordoba um, when what it was literally two, two or three guys followed by a couple of others uh, got right onto the pitch and, and grabbed hold of Adalberto Roman, who's the River Plate centre-back who's handball moment of idiocy getting Ben Brown on the, the opening goal from the penalty spot and you know that's the same reason as well I mean when yeah. by that point it was 2-0 and River did not look like mm. getting anything from that game at all even though there was 35-40 minutes to go yeah but they, they were escorted back to the tribune by the police yeah. Yeah. they didn't do anything they helped no. them get back into the tribune and that's something that that, that is a, the, the real problem and I think that's what 
uh, eventually got really relegated. The, the, the mess this uh, club got into by yeah. allowing or giving this uh, group of hooligans so much power. Yeah. And, and I got asked this question on, on Twitter by, by followers. They said, but what, what do you mean when, when you say they, they are really powerful? You mean they get paid for travels? You, they get paid for the big banners? The salary. I said, yeah. no, no, they're, 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 they're even taking, not only they're hired by the club, they're getting a monthly fee or a monthly payment, they also got a cut from reportedly... Ticket sales. No, no, they, they, from trust yeah. fees. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gonzalo Higuaín's to Real Madrid. Played, uh, to them, right? I'm not aware of Gonzalo Higuaín's, but I heard about uh, Juan Pablo Carrizo's uh, transfer to Lazio mm -hmm. and how they got a, a cut of, of, of that well, deal. Why so. Juan Pablo is alive today? Because he gave a little more than his cut this week. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't see Italy ever again. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> last last week we all, we all sort of gave our, our ideas about what would happen to River if, if they went down. Um, Tim, what do, what do you think the consequences are going to have for, for River in the next year and financially? You know much, much more about this than I do, but I think it's such a fascinating moment, not just because River have gone down, but because Belgrano have gone up, have come up. Uh, and we're at a moment where... Argentina was hosting the Copa America and investing in infrastructure outside the capital. Mm. Uh, and this is, is as, as far as I can see, is one of the main purposes of the Copa America these days, mm. um, to give countries the opportunity to do this and, and, to, and to kind of correct this historical imbalance between a very centralised capital and a, and, a, and a very weak provinces. And for you know, Belgrano, for Cordoba to be Argentina's second city and to have never won the title... I think he's absurd, you know. And if, where has the title ever gone in Argentina? La Plata, a few times, because the Estudiantes are, are a well-run well club these days. Which is 50 minutes away. It's the capital of Buenos Aires province, yeah. so, you know. And, and, and Rosario, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And so for me, the fascinating moment is not so much River, because Boca could be in this situation this time next year. Mm -hmm. It's a possibility. Independiente, the other have never, have never been, uh, been relegated. They have to look over, look, look, look over their shoulder. Yeah, sorry. But the fascinating thing is, is that the forces that are coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, Godoy Cruz, mm -hmm. I think at the start of this year, especially after they lost Ramirez, who I, for my mind is an excellent player, most people expected Godoy Cruz to go straight yeah. They lost their manager too. They lost yes, Marisadio. and they nearly won the title. And they've now got enough points in the bag to be sure of at least another year in the first division, sure. which means that they can plan. So you've got a, you've got a, a team there in Mendoza, which is which is beginning to establish itself as a, as, as a power. Uh, Union just just went up. Rafaela from from the same province just just went up. So for me, the fascinating thing is not just the fall of the giants. It's a on the one hand, I suppose a more optimistic picture because you know, Argentina geographically is a big country. Yeah. And I think another team as well worth mentioning in that, who, a team that we talked a lot about over the Clasura was Olimpo, who are actually in Buenos Aires province as well, but in Bahia Blanca, which is like as I know because border. I did a coach trip there, it's about 11, 12 hours from Buenos Aires and nothing to do with it. And yeah, I, I think I, what they finish about seventh or sixth in no, the end. No, Olimpo finished joint fourth with Argentina. Joint fourth, yeah. I, I, yeah, I've got the final clausura table. They have table. a great fan. I mean, I love Olimpo fans. Yeah. I mean, I've they call them Barra Buena yes. <laughs> because <laughs> they're so cute. I like. I was there for when River was playing in them in Bahia Blanca. That was an interesting thing. They want a stay in the first league. Mm. 
not because they care so much about Olimpo, but they want to see good teams coming to their yeah. small town so they can well, watch good players. Uh, to That's what they mind. told me. It was mm-hmm. like so cute, yeah, you know. We have to have in mind, Bayerlanca, uh, football in Bayerlanca is not even the, the main sport. No, it's, it's basketball. It's basketball. Mm-hmm. So it's the city where Manu, Manu Ginobili, Manu Ginobili. NBA star, he plays for Argentina, of course. It comes from Bahia Blanca. And yeah, to have them uh, established in the first division is a good thing. I think it's, it's, it goes to what Tim is saying about the, the federalization. Is that a word? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, decentralization. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, I'm quite happy to see Union back and, and Rafael. I hope for them to establish themselves. But also, what is going to be the impact for the lower leagues now that uh, River? are going to be playing there, Huracan as well, Rosario Central, who couldn't go up uh, immediately. Um, because we never hear about uh, second division, not even in the Argentine uh, media, so let alone abroad. If I can come in with a comparison from Brazil, yeah. it wasn't very long ago that, that big clubs didn't go down in Brazil. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. There would always be some manoeuvre mm-hmm. to prevent the big clubs from going down. And that stopped. And that's been great for the second division. The second division now gets TV coverage that it never got before. And it's also, with very, very few exceptions, it's been good for all of the big clubs that, that went down. To kind of start over and... As happened, say, in England with, with Manchester United in the 70s, with Tottenham in the 70s, you know, big clubs go down, it gives them a, a, a shake-up, uh, and it gives them that, just a little bit of breathing space, and then they come back stronger. And Gremio, who lost the, the final of the Libertadores, mm. what, Four years ago? Yeah, 2007 to Boca. They'd only just come up from the second division. So they went down, back up to the second division, and the follow- and, and back up to the first division, and the following year they're in the final of the Libertadores. Uh, and uh, for almost all the Brazilian clubs, it's been a healthy process. And, and this is something as well that I've been uh, saying on my blog. My, my blog is, I cover the whole of the Argentine League, but obviously after getting three and a half times the number of hits I got for the last Super Classico yesterday on Sunday when River went down I thought I'd do a post on River's situation not just as a River fan but give a few of my points um, and of course one of the things that w- we, we've discussed many times in previous episodes the Argentine relegation system and, and how ridiculous it is and I'm coming around to it uh, and what it leads to I'm, I'm coming around to it I've always thought it's got its merits I can I, I don't, and, and I wouldn't have done even, you know, even if River hadn't been relegated, I, I don't like it. But one thing which links into what you're saying about being stronger after you're promoted, Tim, is that if River were to come straight back up, then they'd start 2012-13 with the points from this season just gone, still. And the points from this season just gone, they're very strong on. They'd have a points average of exactly 1.5, which at the end of the current Season would have them would have had them in fourth. Banfield finished fourth in the Promedio with one point four six or something. So it's quite literally, you know, if they come up in one year's time, then they will very literally be in a stronger position than they were before. And as you say, Boca and Independiente are both looking over their shoulders already at the start of the season. If, I think Boca will be fine as long as they replace Palermo. Okay, um, no, but, but the, the others. The, the great virtue of the system is, and it, it's only in the last few months that the pennies dropped with this, is that really there's no such thing as a, as a dead game. Although right. it seems to me that the mentality in Argentinian football is excessively short-term. <laughs> excessively short-term. Even by Brazilian standards? Even or? Because you're only playing a season of, of 19 games. Mm. And so, so many of those players you get on loan. 
Right. Yeah, but Tim, on the other hand, uh, the way I see it is that even on week one of the Apertura, and you have you still have 38 games effectively mm-hmm. to be counted to uh, accounted for for the promedios. Uh, teams already know their fate. Some some sometimes like Gimnasia, if they stay up. They're going to be, be like right, 29 right, yeah. points below the. I was, the, the they need like more than 60 yeah. points or something. Exactly, really they're going to have to be competing yeah. for the title. Yeah. This is something I think we all said yesterday: is that every other side in the Primera, and probably everybody in Argentina, apart from San Martín de San Juan fans, is going to be hoping that Gimnasia managed to turn that yeah. that playoff around. They, they lost the first but, leg one. I'll, I'll give you an example of what's happening now in Brazil this year. This year, for the first time, the last rounds of of the season oh, they have eight will, will be, will be the, the, the big local derbies yeah, hmm. why is this because over the last couple of years at the end of the season teams have been deliberately losing games in Enough. order to harm and with the, the, the full support of their, of their supporters in order to harm the prospects of their local rivals is there any concern from security about this because I'm, I'm trying to imagine what would happen if for similar reasons, you had a Super Clásico, Clásico de Avellaneda, deliberately scheduled on the last weekend, and then one of those sides went into oh, it, it with no, the league it, title it, on the last. It's, it's a big security concern, right? But the, the thinking behind it—I I don't agree with it, to be honest. I, I think it's, it's far better to try and eradicate the moral problem mm. with the desperately small mind mm. of preferring. The, the insuccess of your of your rival to, to to your own success. I think you have to have a tiny, tiny little mind to 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 want to go down that path. Um, no, I think it's pathetic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> really, really pathetic. I'm all for it. So. <laughs> oh, think, but thinking of say, we the, the last we'll that that we'll that that we'll that that the last day of the regular don't season. Blame here, I don't think. Well, I think that the, the relegation system in Argentina is in part responsible for the fact that Lanús were totally honest against River Plate yeah. and Boca were because to- their points are still going to be yes. valuable and next Boca season were totally sure. honest against Gymnasia mm. yeah. um, so it, it, it because you, you know like squir- squirrels you're storing up points that might be useful in, in, in two yeah. years time yeah. and, and even and more in- immediately for the Copa Libertadores in, at the end of the year yes. and yeah. obviously apart from River um, going down some other things did happen during the first half of the year in Argentine football in 2011. Well, Palermo retired. Absolutely, yeah. Martin Palermo retired. Um, as we hinted at earlier, in fact, I've got the real-life league table in front of me for reasons that will become clear later on. Two sides from outside Capital Federal. In fact, no, I'm looking at it because... Oh, no, sorry. Lanús, uh, Gran Buenos Aires. Two sides from outside Buenos Aires finished in the top five. Godoy Cruz and Olimpo. So well done to them. Although, having said that, the next five down are all Buenos Aires sides in the class order. Um, yeah, lots of other things happened, not least of which was Bella Sarsfield winning the championship, which Did possibly meant that. about that? Like, a, a team became champion, yeah. but their championship no was totally to. shadowed yeah, right. by yeah. Palermo's yeah. retiring. It's, which it's the guy the things, stole the scene so yeah. superbly. No, you're like, which, which, oh, we, which we spoke about two weeks ago, in fact. Oh, okay, um, you did. No, it's going to be a good trivia question. Which was the team that, that was champion. Champion. overshadowed? And River got relegated and then Palermo retired. And nobody will know me. But that also shows something. I think that's an observation, maybe it's totally, because I'm not really know this stuff as much as you guys. But imagine that 
even though Argentinian league is trying to open up to the you know provinces or the teams outside no matter what happens you can be a champion something happens to Boca or River yeah. you shit yeah, nobody ever knows Absolutely. about what happened to yeah. you and this yeah. translates into the national team too if you ever play for Boca or River yeah. you have media coverage guarantee the journalists are going to be good to you the fans are going to support you, have a you cheer- no matter you what you have a group of cheerleaders basically mm-hmm. exactly that's why Lionel Messi is not as popular as Carlos Tevez is, or, well, Zanetti is another example. Perfect example. But Zanetti yeah. is more but loved by press, I'm telling you. By Zanetti. press, maybe, but by the fans. Yeah, over the years. Zanetti's, Zanetti's the guy who gets all the blame for the fact that Argentina never haven't won a title since 93. Yeah. Uh, they, they call him cursed, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Ashala was the one who scored the own goal in the film. <laughs> yeah. I like Ashala, but, you so know. Is this the same in, like... In Brazil, or in even in Turkey, or Australia, yeah. England. I mean, <laughs> does it happen? Like, if you play for Man United or Liverpool, you have kind of a protection. Well, or, I can say for Turkey, if a Pre- Turkish player media, plays in a foreign league, as far as I am observing, they're heroes back home. We don't yeah. leave the the mm. because it's sort of like. Once we were an empire and we, you know, dominated some parts of the Europe, now one of our players is playing in European League. He's a hero to us and everybody supports, even they follow his team outside of Turkey because he's right. a Turk playing there. We don't let him go. Which is we're very so Turkey is somewhat, somewhat different to Argentina, whereas yeah. Yeah. players go overseas. In, in Turkey's not so much the tough. big domestic clubs, it's more the... Yeah. the Plus, only maybe one outside. Turk goes and plays <laughs> in, in a foreign team yeah. versus yeah. Argentines. Yeah. 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 Tim, um, I'm trying to think about a, a parallel to the question. If well, in fact, we, we, we've got a parallel because Ronaldo retired recently. If, if that had happened at, at the, the very end of the season, as opposed to midway through the transfer window, if I remember correctly, um, at the same time as a side had been in the Brazilian top flight before, and I'm aware that Brazilian top flight hasn't existed for very long, but let's pretend it has for a hundred years, would anybody remember the, the side that won the league that season, or is there the same kind of obsession in Brazil with the big the equivalent of Argentina's big five or whatever it's more decentralised just because Brazil is so much bigger right Um, and and there are two main centres which is Rio and Sao Paulo so anything that happens to uh, to Flamengo in in Rio or Corinthians in Sao Paulo has a huge dimension huge dimension and and Vasco in Rio to a lesser extent Fluminense in Botafogo are big Uh, Sao Paulo uh, Sao Paulo are a kind of bigger version of Vélez I think well well-organised <laughs> club. Um, you, then you've got the, the, the two kind of sub-main main bases, which are Porto Alegre in the south and, and Belo Horizonte. Outside that, uh, uh, Atletico Paranaense from Curitiba won the championship in 2001. Mm-hmm. And had they won the championship on the same day as Corinthians went down, there's no doubt that everyone would remember Corinthians going down and, and right. not Atletico. But yeah, so th- th- there's a same dynamic. There's also a similar dynamic in terms of the public wanting home-based players in the national, right. in the national team. Okay. Perhaps, perhaps even stronger than here at times, and especially now that the Brazilian currency is so strong, and they they can hold on to their wonder kids for a little bit longer now, and they can also bring back established stars a little bit earlier. So I think that the relative strength of, of the Brazilian league is. Is, is far more strength in depth than, than the Argentinian league at the moment, um, which increases the calls. It, it tends to be a little bit results-based. I'm sure it's probably quite similar in Argentina. When the national team is winning with foreign-based players, 
the fact that the, the players are foreign based is not an issue right. But when it's losing with foreign-based players, they're all mercenaries. They don't understand our reality. They don't sing the anthem. They don't <laughs> sing the anthem. Kick they don't want to get hurt or they get injured while playing for the national team. It's something that in Argentina it seems to change from week to week because, of course, in Argentina you have three national teams running alongside each other. <laughs> You've got the domestic national team, <laughs> the European, in inverted commas, B team, and, and the actual Selección national side. Um, they seem com- confused about... Who they need to hate anymore and who they need to, to love. And <laughs> who's an international, who's yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, the whole thing's mad anyway, because say this week you're cheering for Enzo Perez to be included right. in the and national season. And then he goes overseas and then, you know, next week he's gone. I, I remember this, this very situation happened in Brazil with Hamiris. Um, the day that he was first called up to the national team, three years ago, he woke up that morning and played with Cruzeiro in Brazil and he went to bed that, that night and played with Benfica in Portugal. You know, so at the start of the day, you want him in. He's one of us. And at the end of the day, he's just a person. No, it's madness. Well, yeah, I've heard calls for, you know, like, it's great that Cariso is in the team because he's a, because he has, because he's a locally based yeah. player and stuff. But basically because he failed at Lazio. If he, if he hadn't yeah. failed at yeah, Lazio, exactly. he would still be in Lazio and we yeah. don't like him. But because he's come back and got relegated with River, and now we yeah, like him. That, that is another issue. Perhaps a totally different issue. But what on earth has happened to Argentine goalkeepers? They should be wearing clown suits. <laughs> and also, let's bear in mind, Carrizo, uh, who, who is, I think, probably one of the best three. Oh, but I, I, yeah. I wouldn't dispute that he, well, he deserves to be in the squad. One of the best but he was... He's apart from the howlers he had against Bock and San Lorenzo, I think we, we could all agree. But he was coached by Ovaldo Fichol. Uh-huh. You know, that... He, Weldo Fichol, Fichol, sorry, Sever, no, you corrected me a few weeks ago, um, is, is River's goalkeeping coach. Is Fichol not, not correct? Yeah, he was. They, 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 most people call him Fillol. Instead of Fichol, we say Cache, but we call, we say Fillol or yeah. Pilut. It's, 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 it's it makes no sense. It's like Plymouth as opposed to Plymouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I was ever here in, in 96 being confused by this. Why isn't it Pasha Asia? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, because, yeah. Because, because that's, yeah. that's, that's an Italian. Italian yeah. But it doesn't work yeah. from it's Mascherano. Mascherano, mas 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 yeah. It's sticking through the. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. But that's an Italian. But now Cariso is a second division player and he's going to be yeah. in the Copa America. Well, he's not a second division player because he's going back to Lazio in, in what's the date today? 27 in three days' time. So he's a mercenary. Caravan Luke's going to be Rivers. No, I think he's saving his life. So to drag it. I suppose kicking and screaming about the, the clausura that's just finished. I was wondering whether we could, each of us, just kind of pick a, a favourite player or, or so. I'm assuming, because we didn't really plan this at all beforehand, that we're all going to go for, there's a chance that we might go for the same player. So I'm going to jump in first. Aww. <laughs> I'm holding so the microphone. Wait, ladies first. I'm, I'm, I'm holding the microphone and I'm going to say, the player who's, who, who I think is, sorry yes. Ashley, we'll, we'll come to you next. <laughs> But I'd, I'd like to just say Silvio Romero's name of, of Lanús first I of all. I suspect that, that the others wouldn't have mentioned him anyway, but I've, I've said quite a bit about him um, just recently, and he's, his, his kind of goals per minute ratio seemed to have picked up increasingly impressively during the end of the, the, the Clausura. Lanús striker, of course. Yeah, he, is, he was the, the guy who scored Lanús' first goal against River in the Monumental it seems like a year ago but it is in fact only eight days ago as we're, nine days ago sorry as we're recording it was on Saturday um, but are there any other players or, or indeed clubs who've particularly impressed you during, during the second half it's an interesting question as well because of course it's the first short tournament that we've 
covered in full on hand of pod. We, we came in halfway through the upper door. Ashley, has anybody stood out to you or have any clubs already stood out to you? Tigre, Starakulurski. I can't even pronounce his name. Strakatak. I watched probably four games that Tigre played after I met them actually. Guys, incredible. Would you describe him as the new Batistuta? I wouldn't be able to. I'm not qualified to say that because I wasn't really into Batistuta to compare. You're not into Batistuta. I'm too young to comment on Batistuta. No, but I think the guy is is talented. I see him as a new as a new Tevez, but not yeah. because he played similar way, because his face is very similar. Oh God! <laughs> he's ugly. He's, he's, he's quite a lot taller. Uh, he's oh. quite a bit taller than Tevez. I think he's about six. He's foot like three six foot three. The guy is huge. He's taller, but the face is. Very, no, but he, he can run, he can, and I don't know. I think I like the way he plays with the he's ball. He's a nice big tight man. We've talked about it. it's not a common thing in Argentina. Yeah. Big number nine. Yeah. Um, I think that was the only one. I mean, even though he's ugly. They always pull my hair back. I like the good looking players, like Racing, almost everybody from Racing. Especially. So, Racing is a club you've been most impressed by, but in that case. No, unfortunately, they, I was a little upset after like maybe the ninth week. And I started losing. <laughs> 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 I think Southern English Dan have been as well. Since yeah. We've spoke fairly extensively. I think that was my biggest. I assumed that Teo was going to. And I looked at Racing as a team team because they were playing as a team yeah. up until the ninth week. And it was like good. It was lovely yeah, yeah, to watch them. You could tell that they were communicating. Mm. The plantet, I mean, the actual team wasn't like one day you play, two weeks later somebody comes. No, it was like a good... And then suddenly everything changed and it was only Teo. Teo almost... Isn't he the second best yeah. goal? I mean... He not was joint top. Joint top, 11. Joint top, 11. With 11. Yeah. yeah. But aside from him, nobody actually played. And Jacob got, I mean, Jacob got mm-hmm. injured. And he is a good midfielder. I think he was a really important factor in Dustin's losing after the ninth week. For who, who we've just heard is going to... Did you say Catania? No, uh, I said... It's not only secure, Napoli, And it's Adam too. I'm going to go around uh, clockwise. So, Australian now. Uh, I think I know who, for example, Dan is going to say. Uh, <laughs> probably Valeri, who has stood out. So I'm going to say um, I've been really, really impressed with uh, Rodrigo Batalla in Huracan, in a team that was really terrible. This guy's he's in the, uh, the Argentina under-20 team. Uh, he's a, as well a number five, a supposedly defensive midfielder, but very, very... He, he's quite big, he's quite tall, he's going to beef up a little bit. He's, he's skinny at the moment, but in terms of prospects... Well, he's, what, he's 19. Yeah, exactly. He's, in, in the next three years, he'll... he'll He'll get more solid, but uh, apart from being a, a good defend, defensive midfielder, he's, he's, he does get forward. He, he runs forward and joins the attack and playing one twos with other players. And he's got a good shot on him. He's got a nice pass from deep. I think he's. Uh, if I was going to buy like one player from from the, the top division, it would be well between him and Lamela. I think he's, he's really outstanding right. young player. Right. So yes. So that's, Do you have that kind of money? <laughs> what would you use? <laughs> well, if, if I owned a European team, or a can of down, remember? So that wouldn't have to shut up quite so much. Right, no. almost the same. You could probably get a river of down. So I think you get it for like five million euros. Yeah. If, if any investors would like to offer Australian down some money, <laughs> uh, Seba. Yeah. 
No, for me, it's, it's going to be Diego Valeri. I think uh, there were a lot of, lots of question, mark, question marks because he was coming back from Europe. Yeah, he definitely. couldn't make it there for Porto and for Almeria. He played uh, not so much there. And he came back and he, he was like, he never left. And I'm right in thinking that you're quite disappointed that he's ended up missing out on the cup for the Copa America squad because Diego Melito, bizarrely, has been included in the final 23. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big fan of Diego Milito. I don't think he's his moment now for Copa America. And there are a lot of forwards uh, yeah. that Batista prefers. And I don't think Diego Milito is going to see any action in the Copa America, or it looks like he's not. He's not the same position, of course, Diego Valeri and Diego Milito. is, is not like he was one or the other, but I'm surprised that Batista left mm-hmm. him out, basically because of his form. I think he was playing better than anybody else. And I also I would I would also like to point out that I think Teo Gutierrez, the striker for Racing, I think he's a class above everyone, everyone else in in the league. I think Valeri gets my vote because his club his team did better uh, overall. And because it enables you to sound slightly more objective as well. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're all kind of grinning at the fact that Teo has all the tools. I mean, no, I, I think. I, I, Do you think Teo can argue too much for Gio's position? Because I I couldn't no, really. They, no, they're together gonna, will be. Yeah, they're together gonna they're going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Um, English, Dan, any thoughts? Well, I think me and Seba must have some sort of telepathic <laughs> understanding going on because the two players I wanted to mention were Diego Valeri and Teo Gutierrez, who were both outstanding players You know, coming back to the Argentine League. Well, Teo for the first time, Valeri after, say, two, three years. Both outstanding. Obviously, like Seba's covered them. One player I'd like to mention... Kind of a player that didn't really get much, but I saw him quite a few times for Lanús in that wonderful midfield they had. Was uh, Guido Pizarro, is a 21-year-old midfielder, like really kind of like a number five, I guess you call him, and, like a real like box-to-box midfielder. He went back and he scored a few goals as well, and really impressed me as a young, a young number five. And I think mm. he could have a really good, really good future. Definitely, Tim. I don't know how much, how closely you followed the league from Brazil. But... Nowhere near as closely as you do, but um, I, I do try. Don't say Martin Palermo, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to put in a word for Ramirez and Vélez because mm. I think he's such a great story. Yeah. This is Ramirez who left Godoy Cruz at the start. That's right. Year. I thought he was great last year. I thought he was, he was the best thing I saw in Argentina last year. Uh, and um, I think he was, he was in, the, in the domestic campaign, he was Vélez's top goal scorer, mm. which is, which is, is something to, to be lauded. And it, it's, it's fascinating to me that someone can be that good and not be discovered until he was say, 28, 29 mark. Uh, and I always thought that... I like Gareca a lot. I've got a lot, lot of time for, for, for Gareca. But a complaint of mine would be that he didn't use Ramirez enough in the Libertadores. And in that vital game against Peñarol, I think he brought him on with like five minutes to go yeah. or something. The one here. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and obviously it's, it's difficult. I know that there's almost a, a phobia in, in Argentine football about fighting on the two fronts. About uh, which I think perhaps is sometimes more mental than physical. Yeah, uh, other yeah, other sure. sides in other countries have shown that, that they've, they've been able to do it. And even Santos this year, um, at times during, the, during their Libertadores campaign, were in a dreadful fixture pile up and managed to play their way through it. Yeah. Um, but you know, with this, this phobia that, that exists in Argentinian football, it was, it was clearly difficult for Vélez to fight on the two fronts. And, and maybe Gareca used Ramirez more for the domestic stuff than he did, than he did for the Libertadores and was rewarded with the title and Ramirez as top goal scorer and he creates so many goals as well mm. and if, mm. if, if I'm right um, the two that 
that Vélez scored away against Liga of Quito, mm-hmm. which is one thing. If you look at the scoreline, you think it was easy, but it wasn't easy at all. And until Vélez got that first goal, and they were taking a real pounding, I think. Right, Liga, yeah, Liga yeah. hit the woodwork twice. But both the goals were set up with just inspired passes from Vélez, from, from Ramírez. I, I, I see him as such a complete talent. Mm-hmm. And it had been a big fuss in Brazil, certainly last year, not quite so much this, about Conca. Of, uh, playing, with playing very well with Fluminense and Montijo as well with, with, with Cruzeiro who's been, doing, who's been doing well for my mind Ramirez is a step better than both of them and if he was younger I think he'd be in the Argentina squad yeah. he's like 30, 31 yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. how about um, Ricky Alvarez I, I thank you everybody's <laughs> talking the about the, those those Four words that you've just but said. How he, about Ricky Alvarez? They're going to gain us about 500 listeners. The way I expect him to play at the last game here in Vélez Peñarol. Mm-hmm. He was a big disappointment to watch yeah. here at Vélez Stadium. And I went to that game just to watch him. Mm-hmm. And But up until that point, everybody was talking about him. That's why I was curious. I'm like, what is he doing? I'd, I'd love you your opinion of, of him. Because mm-hmm. from an Arsenal point of view... Uh-huh. I can't see where he's going to fit in. I can see exactly where he'll fit in on Arsenal, but I should say, after saying that, but I'm a Manchester United fan, so I'm taking the mic here. Wenger loves his 4 2 3 1. Mm. And for me, Alvarez isn't, he doesn't have the pace to be the wide midfielder on the, on the left side of that midfield three. He's not express pace. That's not really his game. I think they could play him on one side with a, a faster midfielder. Perhaps. Say if they played him on the left with Walker on the right. Perhaps. So, but, but certainly I don't see him in the two because he's not all round enough no. to, be, to be in that first line of two midfielders. So I don't quite see where he's going to fit in there. I would, I would love to. I mean, you've, you've seen more of him than I have. Probably the one thing I'd say about Alvarez, which people should know, is that in Vélez he's, he wasn't an automatic choice. Right. Right. Yeah. The way I've seen him, I've been very impressed with him at certain points, but the times I've seen him and he's most impressed me has been as like an impact player when he's come on with say half an hour 25 minutes to go and he's done some magical things like really kind of breaking tired defences skipping past because there's no question he's got brilliant control on the ball he's got an excellent shot he's a very good player but over the 90 minutes when I've seen him play for Vélez for example in that uh, Peñarol game he's not done anything to kind of to no. show me that he's a player who can play week in week out no, absolutely. high yeah. standard but if, if we're talking yeah. Arsenal yeah Sammy Nasli plays yeah. that position at the moment. Mm-hmm. Would you conceivably put Alvarez in? in, in no. Only, only as I say, he could come on and do serious damage in the last 20 minutes, but can you pay 50 million euros for a player yeah. who's going to play 20 minutes a week? No, I agree totally with what Dan said. I don't see, at least in the next year, I couldn't see him being a starter for Arsenal, maybe an impact sub, but mm-hmm. perhaps you know, training with the team and stuff yeah. in, in one year. Yeah. Uh, because we, we all know he hasn't played a lot of... No, he had a few he's had injury injuries. injuries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, he he yeah. looked weak, like he was mm-hmm. trying to avoid contact almost. Mm-hmm. He was like avoiding very close situations. He's he was got Bambi legs. Bambi <laughs> legs, yeah. Bambi yeah. Legs. Probably I would have said chicken legs. The other <laughs> one was good chicken legs though. It's Lamela. I mean, you talked about mm-hmm. it and I read about him. No, Lamela's more of a... I, I like to say like a pony. He, he's got that kind of demeanour <laughs> when he walks. Yeah. So he, he looks. He does like it. But he also was playing much battle. more. He was getting into the game at the beginning of the season mm. when the, I think I don't know. Well, the pressure's been enormous on him. He's when famous. the transfer talk starts, would do you think? Do you, can you tell that the players were like who got offered millions of dollars abroad? Started to play in the le- regular league like they avoid situations. I have to say, as they somebody, don't do, they don't perform it. As, as a River fan and as somebody who became obviously increasingly frustrated by River's performances through the season, 
I think Lamela is, is the, the last player. The only player who played. The last player I would criticise because he's had so much. I know, I agree with you. He, he's been expected to do everything for the team. Exactly. He's 19, it was absurd. He's 19, he was 19. But he actually, for the number, the number 10 thing is my thing because I've been interviewing them, mm. talking about them. Lamela, for being a 19 year old dork, he's a good <laughs> He's totally a number 10 because he, you can tell he's thinking. But he was avoiding, I think, towards the end of the league because we've been watching a lot of River games so yeah. far. He suddenly said, you know what, I don't think I can do all this. Maybe he just said, I don't want to do job, this anymore. Part of a number 10's job is to, for instance, hold the ball up for a couple of seconds, change the pace of the game, and then lace an Make intelligent sure pass. Make sure the number 7 is there. Number Make, nine lace an intelligent pass through to the centre forward. When the centre forwards are Rogelio Fuentes-Mori, <laughs> Mariano Pamone, or Leandro Caruso. What do you do? What's he supposed to do? Yeah. He's, he's, he's a combination yeah. player with no yeah. Yeah. Combined yeah. Yeah. yeah, He didn't have anybody to combine yeah. with. Yet, at the beginning, when they won uh, against Racing, and then the one before that, that was the game, and I said, this guy is going to be somebody. And in fact, for as, sure. as well, we said before we started recording, as, as Seba ironically commented, River's last victory in the Primera was that one. <laughs> was, yeah, when they won against us. One with a penalty from Pavone, which was one, uh, the penalty was one thanks to an absolutely amazing run from Lamela. Yeah. Well, Lamela, I think we can say, is, in terms of maturity and, and composure, I think we can say he's probably ahead of. Ricky Alvarez. I, I would sure. say he's got a little way to go. The, the, the cameras picked him up, um, as those of you who watched the game, which possibly a lot of our listeners were doing online, um, will probably have seen they picked him up punching a Belgrano player, which <laughs> yes. should have been a red card during the first leg on last Wednesday. Um, but, the, I mean, equally, the frustrations at that point are so enormous that I wouldn't necessarily single that out as a lack of maturity. Exactly. Let's talk He's about. Yes. Can we talk about maturity? Comparing a little bit. Can we talk about Neymar, please? Oh no. Let's talk no, about no. Neymar. They hate him so much. <laughs> Tim, would you describe Neymar as the next Pele? No, please. No, no, no. He's such a good He's not the next Pele because he doesn't have the body to be the next Pele. Sure. But he is an extraordinary talent. He's. Uh, I think he's the, the brilliant but petulant boy prince of, of, of Brazilian football. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it's got two Bs, it's got two Ps, it just falls <laughs> off the top. It's great. Um, Do you not think he should get a haircut? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is, this is part of his image and part of, part of the thing he's got going on around. You talk about haircuts when you've got Lamella in your team. That's a pretty short Well, this is true. And, and also, also, you've kind of followed a kind of David Luiz. I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> so, at least oh, David Bowie is like David Bowie. More David Bowie. Well, Bowie would be if I shake the When I was at, you know, during the game of Santos, I was sitting with older generation of Santos fans. And of course, as a journalist, I kept asking them. Pele was sitting there with the 63 squad on the presidential, whatever, the And his Alco. two sizes too large, Santander red jacket, we should say as well. He, yeah. he was interviewing for a job at Butlin. Is there nothing you won't do for money? And I was asking them, well, well, you remember Pele playing, some of them did, they were little kids, and then now they're seeing that. And I was like, do you think he's up or he's in the way? And they're like, no, 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 no. It was like uncomparable. For Brazilian audience, do you think like Pele is one of those players that they would never have comparison because yeah. before Neymar there will be other players to n- name because he's too young. Which is almost, almost not fair on, on, on Pelé and you can see so many similarities in, in the Pelé-Maradona thing. Mm-hmm. The way that 
the human being is spoilt by being, being treated as a god. And the consequences are slightly different because and these are two flawed individuals. And the, the flaws are part of their success, I think. I mean, Maradona is a junkie and his first addiction was victory. Mm. And that, that craving for victory was part of the thing that made him such a great player. And such a collective player, perhaps a more collective player than, 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 than Pelé was. But that craving was also the thing that destroyed him. Once he becomes a god and all, all the limitations are taken off him. Pelé is, is, is different in a way because he's, he's much, much colder, much, much more calculating, not nearly as collective. But Pelé has his... Has his, his I, I don't think it's possible to be treated as a god and not become insane. I think that, that just goes. Uh, hence the fact that you know, the Roman emperors used to have someone walking behind them, whispering in the ear. And Pele gave an interview a few years ago when he he, he declared himself. I, I think this is so, such a depressing tale of, of the global media because the thing that came out of it was Pele declaring himself superior to the Beatles. Well, which you know. It's such a silly thing to say. It is, what, especially because the Beatles are superior to Jesus. <laughs> his line was that the, that the Beatles were into drugs and Pelé was into sports. <laughs> line. But he also said that he was superior to Martin Luther King. Because oh, Martin Luther King was into politics and Pelé was into sports. <laughs> and and Pelé stopped two wars. And... And the thing that makes this even more insane is that years after the event, when it became safe to say so, Pelé tried to convince people, especially abroad, because it's difficult to convince people in Brazil because they know it. He tried to convince people that he didn't play the 1974 World Cup as a political protest against Brazil's military dictatorship. Mm. It's not true. But it played well with the European media. So, you know, Pelé was trying to gain bogus credit points from being a political figure. And at the same time, he says he's superior to Martin Luther King. Because, because you know, Luther, Luther King was a politician and, and, uh, and Pelé was just into sport. But in a way, I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost inevitable from being declared a god, from this activity that we're talking about, being taken so seriously and in, engendering such passions. Uh, and you know, the, the human being at, at the heart of it gets ruined by, by, by the success. And, and this actually ties back to almost to what we're saying about River with, with the, the relegation and the fact that it's been building and building for 10 years of bad administration when you're held up to that level you know and one of the points that Seven made to me after we stopped recording last week was that 15 years ago to the day previous yeah. to River's relegation yeah, the was when they were last crowned Libertadores yeah. champions and, and you think you look at the slide and it's a similar thing you know with, with River and with Boca especially you know we, we, we saw Boca have a kind of slump for say the last five or six years, uh, they last won the Libertadores in what 2007 with Riquelme, but before that it was 2004. They lost the final to Once Caldas so in 2003. In 2003. Yeah. So one Libertadores, based on the, on a phenomenal campaign from one great player um, in in the intervening eight years. River and Boca have both had these slumps. Boca haven't been relegated as a result of it. River have sure, but they're both as, in part at least due to beginning to believe their own hype. It's, also very, it's very hard to, to administer passion. Mm. And football is hard to administer anyway because the long term and the short term can have such conflicting demands. In the long term, sometimes you need to lose in order to blood young players. Young players are going to lose. They're going to be yeah. inconsistent. That's, that's part of it. But that necessity to get three points on Sunday, sometimes that means you, that you, you're, you're jeopardising the, the, the long term in, in, in search of the short term. And Bocca had that great model 
that worked for them for years and years and years. And one of the defining things of the model was you couldn't have a Raquel me there. You couldn't have someone earning ten times more than, than everyone else. Mm. And it worked in 2007 when they got him back on a loan basis. But as soon as they got him back on a definitive basis, no. that, that, that's the end of it. That's the, that, yeah. they, then they threw away the model in the name of passion. And there's always a, a premium on passion here because the president is an elected position. So he's always going to be playing to, playing to the gallery. And I think we saw that more than ever last year when Riquelme was negotiating his new contract, even though we knew that he'd be out for at least six months. And yet there was kind of no question in any Boca fan's mind, we need this player. And it basically ended up co- uh, costing Claudio Borghi his job because he yeah. went through the whole of the year with Riquelme there, but oh, on no. the sidelines he... He didn't do brilliantly by any means. But Although we should, say in, we should say in fairness to Riquelme that um, admittedly that he after he returned to fitness back, yeah. he, he agreed to, to return the wages that he'd earned during the six months. But still this idea that you can give a 32-year-old player yeah. a four-year contract, four-year contract on the amount of with wages done. probably much higher than any other player earns in the league yeah. on the fact that he's got kind of an injury which could turn out to be quite a chronic recurring injury with no guarantees that he's going to come back and play like a a regular 19 game season no, again it's, I don't think that would happen in many other definitely not in many European countries no I definitely want to because we didn't quite hear Tim's views on, on Neymar in terms of how do you think his personality and we can probably merge here into talking about the Copa America how, how do you think he's going to cope with, with the Copa America well, I honestly think he's going to be one of the most fascinating stories to follow in world football over the next few years because his talent is extraordinary it's extraordinary. But I, I remember a few years ago when Hobina was coming up at Santos and the hype around him. Um, there's a former World Cup player, Casagrande, who is a, is a pundit on Brazilian TV. And I remember him saying that uh, Hobina was going was to be better than Maradona. And it looks, looks ridiculous now in hindsight. But that hype is more justifiable about, about Neymar than mm-hmm. it is about Hobina. He, he, he's considerably better at the same age than, than Hobina was. Um, I think, sorry Tim, I'm, I'm going to interrupt for one second uh, purely because having spoken to a few Brazilian people on holiday about football and then told my friends back in England what they were saying later on, I, I feel I should translate for British people who aren't used to hearing Portuguese Robinho is Robinho Yeah, uh, yeah I get stick for, for saying Yeah, I'm sure you've been in Brazil for a long time so. What can you do? Um, he in, in one against one situations he is a genius. You never know what he's going to do. He can go either way. He's got a lovely burst of acceleration. Um, his control of the ball is instant and, and, and stunning. His vision, he can see the killer pass. He's not just a selfish player. He combines well. And the thing that really sets him apart is the, 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 the cool precision of his finishing, which is amazing. Yeah. And he can he can just roll the ball beautifully into the far corner. He's As he did in the Libertadores. Indeed, yeah. And it's almost like Jimmy Greaves. You know, he realises he, he doesn't have to burst the back of the net in order to, to score a goal. Although if it does need some welly, he can give it some welly. So the talent is 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 amazing. The downside of this is is the it, hair. Is <laughs> uh, over the last fifteen years or so, the criteria adopted by Brazilian referees has gone mad. Uh, really, I think a lot of this is the explosion of cable TV. Um, what do you mean? Like everything's a foul. Okay. Every, any physical contact is a foul, and a generation have grown up. And Neymar is the worst exponent of this I've ever seen. Who well, we agree on that? I have been saying this about and, Neymar. And in fact, we had for a long. We had a Santos supporting fan on 
um, for a Brazil special pre-Copa America about two or three weeks ago who said exactly the same thing. He was a Santos fan and he said what I assume you're about but to say. But he also said that um, for uh, it makes sense that this kind of thing happens because they need to protect, protect the, the, the stars, like the, the, the people, the, mm-hmm. the players that bring people to, to the stadiums. The, the idol is even more important yeah. in, in Brazil than it is in Argentina because Brazil is a more, is more individualistic society than, than Argentina. And you see this in, in a way that the fans respond. Yeah. And the Argentinian fans are, are, are so different from, from Brazilian fans. They're much, surely, much more collective. I'm just wondering, because to me, the ultimate expression of the idol within Argentine football and how important it becomes was the fact that they were stupid enough to appoint Diego Maradona as their manager. You'd never get Pelé managing Brazil, surely. Although, had he been a coach, it's a, it's a possibility. But Pelé would never... But, but had Pelé been a coach, say, a decade and a half ago and coached 12 matches and won, <laughs> lost most of them? Well, Pelé would never have put his prestige on the line. No, of course that's, not. That, that's part of Pelé. But that's one thing that I did, much as I, I think he's a raging idiot, that I did admire Maradona for doing, was at least he was prepared to take the risk. <laughs> and he, he, he took the risk in 94, and he played that World Cup. When, and and it, was, it was a short cut that he took. But Pelé wouldn't play 74, and that's, that's for, for, for financial reasons and for reasons of protecting his own prestige. Right. Um, but to, with, with, with Neymar... He, he, he goes over all the time, all the time, all the time. And, and this is something that Hobbio, for example, has never never really been able to, to get used to in European football, mm. that the criteria of fouls is different. They grow up like spoiled kids in Brazil, and Neymar is the most spoiled of all of them. What's Neymar's background? Because I know that Favela. Some, some people said this about Kaká, for instance, is a very... Neymar is favela, but he's been out of that for a long, long time. He's, right, he's been yeah, on big money yeah. since he was 13. Right. Because they discovered him so early yes, on. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, so he's... Um, he's a father now. He's, he's going to be a father, yeah. 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 Which but is there's a, there's children, babies making babies. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to listen to your opinion about... Some people can play... Remember we were talking about that before, when I talked to you first time. Some players do well Brazilians abroad, mm-hmm. and some would never. What do you think if Neymar well, he, decides he, to take one of those off? Would would he be a star there, or he's better off staying in Santos? And could, could he cope with a cold, wet Wednesday in Stoke? <laughs> but, well, I'm very glad he didn't go last year. I think that would have been a huge mistake to have gone last year. I think he's grown, and it, especially during the, 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 the final stages of this Libertadores campaign. Mm. I think he's grown immensely j- during that. I don't know if you saw him during the South American under twenties. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He was also terrible. Yeah, and the, the game against Argentina, which yeah, for them yeah. was the big game, Brilliant. he was terrible. He was awful. He didn't want to play football. He just wanted to dive and argue with the referee. And I'd like to say as well that I was actually at the Copa Libertadores first leg in the Centenario with Peñarol, mm-hmm. and it's a very similar thing. Like. He got booked, I think, within 20 minutes of that game yeah. for a fairly blatant dive, and he was still good. Like <laughs> they, I'm saying fairly blatant. Sorry, all of the live updates I saw were yeah. laughing out loud almost about how. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic in that. <laughs> but I saw in that game he had the whole of the Cincinnati against him, apart from you know the 2,000 Santos fans there, and they were you know whistling. And it's got to be for me, I don't like. This is never a thing that I like to. Um, you know, overstate this kind of influence from the fans and the pressure, but for me it seemed like this was getting to him, like he didn't like the fact that 
the fans were on his back. I don't think it was so much the fans, it was, it was the ref. specifically the referee. Yeah. Because, but I don't think it helped that he had 60,000 people sure. whistling every time he got the ball. I'm wondering, you know, say in a hypothetical final in the Monumental, Argentina Brazil and 60,000 Argentina fans are whistling his every move. Is he going to be able, like, has he got like the mental strength to, to rise above that? It's such a fascinating question. Um, I think Amarillo, the referee in that game, mm. did him a huge favour. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the adult world. world. Uh-huh. This is what you're going to have to put up with. Yeah. Because he was booked for diving and he was repeatedly warned. Yeah. I'm going to get if, if you do it again, I'm going to send you off. And he was intimidated by that mm-hmm. because players of, of this type are confidence players. Mm-hmm. It's a one against one situation. Confidence in this situation is never an abstract. The confidence comes from your own perception of your capability. To beat the defender. Now, if you know that you're going to get a cheap foul, your confidence soars. But if you take that away, you're basically taking the whole side of your game, the whole aspect of your game. Sure. If you've got the option, you can either beat him fair and square or you can go down and get a foul. That's two good results. If you take one of them away, it puts all the focus you have to. Why 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 has Hobbino flopped in European football? Mm. I think largely because of exactly that reason. Yeah. And Neymar is going to have to cope with this situation. And Neymar's diving is even worse than Hobin mm. because he's younger and he's grown up in this environment yeah. where, where it's tolerated. For me, that the, the thing comes not just... I, I said the explosion of cable TV and so on, but there's also another factor, which is the, the replacement... And this is a huge generalisation. But the replacement of, of old-fashioned street football mm. with futsal. Because old-fashioned street football, and the only rule is handball. <laughs> Apart from that, it's a total free-for-all. <laughs> so the, the talented player, and this is where Tevez got his, got his guts from, you know, the talented player, he has to develop self-defence strategies. Uh, and one big self-defence strategy is knowing when to get rid of the ball. You get them instead, and because Brazil, urban Brazil has become so dangerous and has grown so much, it's swallowed up so many of the spaces that were used for this informal street football. And they've got them inside in this organised futsal environment with a referee. You get a referee there, then you've got the diving all the time that you don't get in, in street football. I was talking to, to a, a, a guy a couple of weeks ago, a foreigner in Brazil, who was coaching football lessons in, in one of the suburbs of Rio, one of the, one of the natural homes of Brazilian footballers and he was saying that they're eight years old and they're diving and, and, and asking for a way to imagine they <laughs> No way. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're seeing it's what they see Neymar. Yeah. It's what they see. You know? So in, in that sense, I think Neymar is, 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 is the fruit of the poison tree. And, it, and because he's grown up in this, in this cocoon, if you like, it's going to be harder for him when eventually he does move out of, 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 of the cocoon. And there are other, as you say, the, the petulance, there are other temper, temperament issues with him. Uh, and the foul that he, that he committed last Wednesday in the second leg of the Liberty Lords final, it was an over-the-ball the, uh, thing, yeah. over thing on Stan Gonzalez. That's yeah. a red card offence. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was him snapping under, under the, the provocation. But going back to this point about uh, the diving... I'm kind of, obviously I think, I've watched Brazilian football quite a lot because before Fagawa I used to cover it as well as Argentina and it is incredibly frustrating but I think a point, me and maybe Seba as well, this is kind of a, a theme close to our heart related to one of the players who won't be playing in the Copa America, Gio Moreno. We saw him on the first day of the clausura against All Boys and he was, you know, the revelation of the Apertura. you know, not just Racing fans saying this, pretty much agreed. And he was kind of systematically kicked out of the game by Hugo Barrientos, who's a 
nasty, nasty piece of work for all boys until he kind of snapped, got into a stupid tackle and ruptured his cruciate ligament. My kind of point would be that that wouldn't happen in Brazil because the first foul that Barrientos done, did on Gio would have been a yellow, the second would have been a red, that would have happened probably after 20 minutes of the All Boys game and we find that. Do you think that this protection against the number 10s, which doesn't happen in Argentina at all, like, it has its positive sides now? For me, this is part of the greatness of Maradona mm. because uh, in, in Brazil they love their statistics. Mm. A, lo- a lot of the, um, the coaches are, are technocrats, I think to a, to a much more of an extent than, than Argentina. And you see Brazilian coaches, they love their technology. So they've got one, they, the coach is on the touchline and his assistant is, is up in the stands and they're talking. You, know, you, you don't see that so much in, in Argentinian football, I think. They love their technology. And one of the stats that they love, and Brazilian physical preparation, I think, is, is light years ahead of, of, of what goes on in Argentina. It's one of the reasons that Brazil produces so many good goalkeepers because the, the, the physical work is so much better. The Argentinian goalkeepers look so small. and, and, and um, But... Uh, in, in Brazil, they love the, the, the statistic of the fact that in the mid-70s, players were running an average 5,000 metres a game. By the mid-90s, it was 10,000 metres. So that doubled. And that's essentially Maradona's career, the mid-70s to, to the mid-90s. Only in 94 do you get the, 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 the necessary legislative change, which is the crackdown on the sliding tackle. If you look at some of the punishment that, Ma- that Maradona took in his time, and these days it wouldn't be a red card, it would be a jail sentence. And it, it, was, it, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the tackles, look, they were horrific. Messi wouldn't have survived, I think, in the environment that, that, that Maradona played in. But also, so, so clearly, just to answer his question, clearly there has been progress, because that was unacceptable. The kind of punishment that Mar- Mar- Maradona took was, was unacceptable. But I think you can take that too far. Because one, one thing that you're seeing as a result in, in, in Brazil is a lack of midfield elaboration and midfield interpassing. You don't need it. You just want to fall down on the edge of the, edge right. of the box and you've you got a free kick. So why bother with that, that, uh, the, the 82 side? That wonderful midfield passing. It was almost like a team of magicians. They hit the ball and suddenly revealed it. Now they hit the ball there and suddenly revealed it there. That's not going to work in a podcast at all, is it? They <laughs> <laughs> hit the ball in one place yeah, yeah. and brought it out. Tim, yeah. Tim is throwing his hands in one direction and then the other while saying <laughs> And Tostao is over there. <laughs> you can see him. <laughs> I wanted to film tonight so much. One, one My thing. producer said, in order to film this conversation, you would need eight cameras all around your small apartment <laughs> to just to get Big the brother. idea. Yeah. 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 Before you even take into account the appearance fees that myself and the others have. You know, there's, charge, su- there's certain experiences in, in life. A journalist <laughs> or a human being, that you don't have to share with audience. It's just to you. It's priceless. And I'm sorry, audience, but we're yeah, very lucky. We're lucky that we're watching him live <laughs> talking to us. Now, one, one thing before we move to other subjects, back to the Neymar and the first leg of the Copa Libertadores. Um, for, for those who haven't seen it, uh, haven't seen the game, Neymar dived in the first half, got a yellow, then dived a couple of other times, and as you said, uh, the, as Tim said, uh, the referee, Amarilla, warned him that he was going to show, show him a red card. And then when they were coming back to play yeah. the second half, we were watching, I was watching on TV, and they were actually interviewing Neymar as he was walking uh, on the pitch, and also the coach, Mauricio Ramallo, from, uh, for, for Santos. And you said that uh, Amarilla did Neymar a big favor there. 
like welcome to, to, to the other world. I'm thinking uh, Murisir Ramayo went the other way mm-hmm. because he said, hey, what do you expect? He's only 63 he kilos. To, he to exactly. He, said, he, he went to the referee and said, hey, uh, do you want us to play? Can I, can I, can I keep Neymar on the pitch or are you going to send him off? Like, kind of uh, indulging Neymar into this kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, behavior. So, um, is, it the, is, it, is it the same with other coaches? Is that the mentality? Like, do they do this just to protect their job? Because if the star uh, player is not happy, uh, they I'll, could be the ones... I'll, I'll tell you an old story about uh, um, turning up for training on time. Ah, I heard that on your yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Please, I don't know, I don't know. I can't remember which team it was. We're going back years, years now. But the star player was late for training. Everyone's already out there training, and the star player turns out late. And the journalists are around, they turn to the coach and they say, Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to fine him? Are you going to, going to drop him from Sunday's game? And he said, "No, no, no. He's on time. All the others were early." <laughs> and and that, that that shows that the figure of the idol is so important, so important. In, and the, the figure of the idol. I remember the first game of, of Adriano when he when he first came back to to Flamengo. This is maybe uh, 2007. I was there. I think yeah. Adriano, when he previously played at Flamengo, the fans hated him. They just booed him all the time. But he'd gone away to Italy and he'd become the emperor and he'd become a, a, a much celebrated player. And just his presence on the field tripled the crowd. And there was a, almost a full crowd at the Maracanã, 60,000. And if you look at Flamengo's previous game, there were less than 20,000. And that, that thing of the star player... And it, 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 there's much more in Brazil, I think, of, of the idea of the team doesn't represent me. I, I support the club, but this team doesn't rep- rep- represent me. But if it has an idol, it does. Mm-hmm. Now, That's uh, what neoliberalism does to a third world country. Well, so. it, it, you it's, have it's, to it's, be individualist. You're the star. You don't sure. give a shit about anything else. But, well, they have it here with Ortega. You well, know, I, wanted to, fans, I wanted to bring Ortega in. Because talk about Ortega from coming late story. Mm-hmm. I was interviewing a couple of fans about Ortega because in terms of because he played in Turkey. And I said, well, the guy is a drunk. What do you want to mean? He's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. When he plays, he plays. He doesn't have to. They, the fans were actually supporting the idea that if you're a star, you can be a drunk, you can beat your wife, you can never show up at the training. But that one position that makes me happy at the next game against my rival is worth Everything. Didn't Romario record a samba song called, uh, and he was singing Trenar pa que, Trenar pa que, si it, was, it, was, it was a comedian who did it about Romario. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I got it yeah. twisted. Well, yeah. But the thing is, what would I be training for if I know what to do? If I, if I already yeah. know what to do, what's it? Yeah. So. Uh, I, I wanted to, to mention Ortega as well, among others, um, because... He's an illustrative in a way of, as you say, actually, of, of how idols are treated in Argentina, where they're also, perhaps, as, as Tim say, not to the same extent as in Brazil, um, but they're also given a lot of, of leeway. And the first game that I ever came to in Argentina was way back in 2003, when I came to Argentina on holiday. Um, when you were 12. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I was I was 19. Um, it was the the first the first day of the the. 2003 Torneo Clausura, 
and it was, as I've mentioned before, it was Javier Mascherano's first team debut for River Plate, uh, after he played his, his debut for Argentina, of course. But it was obviously completely overshadowed because nobody fully appreciated who Mascherano was at the time. I only found out two years later that it, that had been the first game he'd played. It was Ariel, uh, sorry, Ariel, Marcelo Salas's return to River. And so I wonder how, whether some of this, this business with the idols and, and, and with, um, with, with club fans turning out in, in the way that you've just described that they did for Adriano comes from the fact that in Brazil the economy is obviously much stronger than in Argentina and, and as you've mentioned earlier on clubs can afford to bring these players back from Europe whereas in Argentina that's not happening quite so much at the moment um, we've got at the moment say in, in the wake of Rivers relegation Kabanaki for instance suggesting that perhaps he might come because back to Rivers everywhere else <laughs> <laughs> and, and fully aware that he'd have to take an enormous pay cut to do so um, but yeah, as, yeah, as well, you say it's almost players yeah, that yeah, failed yeah, with, with the exception of somebody like Riquelme who fell out with various club directors or better on who famously didn't really f- fail anywhere as such although he was perhaps underachieving in England it's not so much a point of Estudiantes didn't have to be, be able to afford Beron because Beron's commitment to Estudiantes <coughs> was never in doubt sure. um, whereas when Ronaldinho comes back to Flamengo when Adriano comes back to, to Flamengo as well uh, when Ronaldo moves back to Corinthians all of these are happening at least in part because of there's some money involved the clubs can afford right, to do this I feel the club there yeah. Yeah. Well, there is there's a, a glorious exception uh, Juninho, Juninho. Mm. It's, it's a wonderful exception but and in England as well as Brazil as well yeah. course, but there's prefer. something that I've never understood about Argentina I, I always think that um, people and nations can only only be understood by their by trying to get to grips with their contradictions it's, it's, it's you Nobody else uses them. <laughs> the thing that I've, I've never understood about Argentina is, on the one hand, it, it's such a almost enlightened society, a society that loves to debate, mm-hmm. and, and with, with a certain amount of logic. It's a society that reads, uh, perhaps less now than, than, than in, the, in the past. But there's, there's a logical, dialectical debate going on. It's, a, it's an intellectual... Uh, one of the things Buenos Aires during 2011, completely unrelated to football, but it's UNESCO's world book capital. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's got more book, bookshops than any other city in the yeah, world. I, I think this has been officially yeah. kind of statistically So you, you've got that on the one hand, but on the other, there's this extraordinary and totally impossible to understand passion and the story of it, of Evita, it's insanity, you know, and with all, all the things that happened to her, 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 her corpse, and Peron's hands being cut off, it's just madness, there's, there's <laughs> almost a, a, a search for some kind of transcendental religion going on, and this contradiction between the logic and the extremely almost spiritual which I think you see in football. You see football as a, as a, as a kind of secular religion. Yeah. That, that's the contradiction of Argentina that I will never understand. Mm. Well, they say Peruvians come from the Incas, Mexicans, they come from Aztecs and Mets, and we come from boats, and, and we got maybe the worst from Italy, Spain, and other <laughs> places. And it's, it's a really difficult... I can see why uh, people will find it very difficult to to analyze or to understand what, what's what's going on in Argentina as a society. And sometimes I find myself like um, when when we discuss something about some, some something about history like uh, when uh, Columbus first got to America, 
and I take the part of the natives, but I'm coming from European backgrounds, sure. and my yeah, family is from Italy and Spain. But I, I feel it's, like I, I should defend retrospectively yeah. the native uh, people from. from it's it's something that I found. It's a dilemma. When I went to Mexico a few years ago, I was talking to a guy outside Mexico City Cathedral, and and most of the churches in Mexico City, at least, are built on the top of what used to be Aztec uh, pyramids. Yeah. Mexico City Cathedral is literally. 100 meters away from the Templo Mayor, which in Aztec mythology was the center of the universe. You don't get this stuff on other football podcasts, by the way. And outside Mexico City Cathedral, there were these kind of glass panels in, 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 the, in, in the pavement looking down to the, the steps that used to lead up to it because the city is sinking into the lake that it was built on. And there were a couple of very old men standing there looking, and I wandered up to one of them and said, Can you tell me? These steps used to be the cathedral steps, right? And it's just that the cathedral is sinking, and so now they're on the street level. And he put his arm around me and went, no. These steps used to be the steps of the temple, and the cathedral was built on top of the temple. And we, and when he said we, he was referring to the Aztecs, not to the Spaniards. He said, we were living here before them, and when the Spaniards came here, they built their, temple on top, they built their temples on top of ours. And this, this guy's, you know, he looks as Latino as, as you do, so he's, he's clearly of European well, origin. Scottish, so <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's clearly of European origin, but he's using the phrase we to mean the natives. Course, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then he, he signed off by saying there are three good things about Spanish culture. The first is the food, the second is the mix of cultures and, and the, the peace that they eventually managed to make with the Moors, and the third are the pretty girls. <laughs> Ciao. And then he walked off. And this, this guy was like 85. Which is, there's exactly the same dynamic going on in Brazil. And it's yeah. something which is said all the time. It's never challenged. We were colonised by, by the Portuguese. Mm. But the vast majority of the Brazilian population are, well, not necessarily Portuguese, but from wherever, they are colonisers. Mm-hmm. But this position, it allows themselves to not have to take responsibility for anything that, that, that's happened. Yeah. It's all Brazil as, as, a, as a passive object mm-hmm. of ills bestilled upon it but by the outside world and, and it doesn't is so strong and it doesn't happen to the same extent in Argentina at least not in Buenos Aires where as 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 Servers pointed out to any of you who don't actually read the blog but who maybe subscribe on iTunes or whatever and thus have never seen pictures of us Server looks <laughs> say less latino than you might expect him to I look, I look more Rooney than I, than I look yeah. more it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like a typical brassy guy. Well, this is Steve um, Bruce in it. <laughs> <laughs> With a straight nose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly in Buenos Aires, at least, the, the vast majority of the population have at least some European blood in them. They're of European descent. Um, and so this kind of otherness, let's say, from the blame doesn't, doesn't happen in Argentina to the same extent, where, where everybody is almost... Has some European blood and native blood. I'd say in Argentina, and this goes for kind of like society, politics, history, even football. Thank so you for saying football, Dan, because I was Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it back. Like, it's kind of this, um, <laughs> there's definitely in Argentina like this culture of, I'd say, probably at the best you could call it self criticism, and at the worst it'd be kind of like self flagellation, if you can use that word. Like the fact that they're so kind of proud of their country but also so kind of like negative about it this fact that they're always kind of like having to go themselves so I think you can see this that there's an excellent advert that's just come out on uh, TSA which is for the Copa America and I don't think I can't imagine this in any other country definitely not England probably not Brazil from what I know and it basically starts with a comedian 
who's, I guess, I think he's meant to be Mexican or possibly Mexican, something yeah. like that, yeah, who just stands up and tells about seven or eight anti-Argentine jokes. You know, really this kind is, of like... The whole thing about South American yeah. and Latin America is these jokes about Argentinians being yeah. arrogant, being, and, and this is what this comedian yeah. is telling. Yeah, they're right. We are superior, so... <laughs> they're right to me. It's just this, like... It's a fantastic <laughs> thing, like, the fact they're... They're just aware of this, and, you know, they know there's things wrong, and, but at the same time, you know, the... The commitment to the country and the team is unquestioned. Yeah. Is unquestioned. I'm, I'm trying to work out how we can drag this back onto the topic of the 2011. I just Sora. mentioned the Copa America slut in passing. You did. You're quite right. You can drag it back. Yeah. I would like to get. I'm stuck. A, a few Down thoughts from Tim on the on the Copa America. So yeah. We were all given our thoughts. I this has been going for like three hours already. But <laughs> yeah, almost literally. <laughs> Continue. Um, no, we could. Perhaps finish off with your thoughts about how the how the Copa America is going to go. How, do you see it as a Brazil Argentina final? Do you see someone else uh, sticking their noses in there? What I think is is so wonderful about it is that I think we're we're at a moment now when the, the strength and depth of national team football in, in South America is is better than it's ever been because of the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, it, it's been a revolution, I think, that that the marathon format of World Cup qualification has given the, the weaker the, the nations a, a regular calendar, guaranteed income, uh, possibility to grow for the long term. And what, what do you think 25 years ago what Ecuador and Venezuela were? Well, they, they, were they were, they were, obviously Luxembourg and the Faroe Islands. Mm-hmm. They were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, well, even yeah. 10 years ago in, in the case of Venezuela. In the case of Venezuela, yeah. And Ecuador, the first signs of perhaps the Copa America of 89, when I think they, they beat Uruguay and gave... Ed Maradona's Argentina, uh, a, a tough game. Um, but it's still very recent. You know, an, the, the idea of, of an Ecuador player in, in the final of the Champions League you know, happened for the first time this, this year. Um, so, we're also, the Copa America has just found the, the, the perfect place in the calendar. Yeah. Uh, I've been at, at Coppers before when there were more police than supporters because the whole thing had been devalued every two years alongside the main event, which was the, the, the World Cup qualifiers. So teams were there with... For, uh, Hernandario Gomez once, he said uh, we, were, we were taking part when he was coach of Ecuador. We were taking part as much for reasons of folklore as anything else. Mm. That's not the case now, you know, because it, it is an important dry run. Everyone will want to come out of the Copa ready for World Cup qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that makes it an important tournament. And obviously there's extra pressure on Argentina, 18 years without a title being at home. There's extra pressure on Brazil because Brazil have been so successful recently and this is the most serious competitive test that Brazil have on the way to 2014. So I'm, I'm really very optimistic about it. I think it's, it's, going, to be a, it's going to be a fascinating competition. Um, lots of things to, to enjoy. I think I wrote in, in the BBC blog today, it's, it's both a chance to, to visit a place where history has been made so often in, in football. You know, the, the first Copa America, the first continental tournament was staged here in 1916. Right. I love that yeah. historical aspect. I absolutely love it's, that. It's the oldest international football tournament yeah. in the world. You know, I, I love getting off on, on how important this tournament was in the 20s. When it, essentially, it paves the way for the World Cup. Mm. Because it, it's, that, it's, it's the annual Copa America that allows Uruguay to be so good and win the Olympic titles, which then leads to the World Cup. So in that sense, the World Cup is a child of the Copa America. Um, you know, the, the, the great football that was being play, played in the 40s, 
when obviously Europe has, has got its mind on weightier matters. Argentina's going through a golden age. Brazil has professionalised in the 30s. Professionalisation means your poor players, your black players, they've got a place in the game now. So that's coming through in the 40s. In the 40s, as well as Argentina's golden age, it's Brazil paving the way for, for its domination at, uh, that starts from 58. I, I love the chance that, that we've got to, to be in contact. It's almost like a communion if we're talking about football as a secular religion. Mm. The chance that we've got to be in contact with these great Copa Americas of the past where history has been made. Yeah. But also, we've got history in the making here. You know, because th- th- this copper starts the new cycle of, c- of competitive games. And this is the first time that Venezuela go into a cycle with realistic hopes of qualifying for the next World Cup. Mm. So history is being made here. History is, is also being made with, with the things that we, we touched on earlier on, with the decentralisation of Argent- Argentinian football. History is being, it's being made here with, with, with Belgrano unseating River Plate mm. and now you know, Cordoba staging games Santa Fe staging games San Juan have, have a new stadium in San Juan and the chance perhaps of a team in, in the first okay. division next year and this is before we start to consider things like a side who just missed out on the last World Cup who looked very impressive in the latter half of qualification Colombia well, could they're, they're, they're my dark horses you know. because I'm, they've got a chronic problem scoring goals. I don't know whether you listened to the previous episode, but I said that as well. <laughs> In fact, you didn't listen to it because I uploaded it about half an hour before leaving the house. So Chronic problem scoring goals, mm. but what a great way to start against Costa Rica. We're also with Bolivia in yeah. the group, so you, they're almost guaranteed yeah, a quarter final. Uh, but now they've now, now they got uh, Ophelia Gutierrez. The next goal. And also, a, a perhaps lesser known talent such as Radamel Falcao Garcia mm-hmm. <laughs> far be it from me to say I wish he was still with River and Jackson Martinez can play a little bit as well yeah Pedro Moreno as well for us. yeah that's very good player and we haven't even mentioned well, that's my chutney it's good it's <laughs> so did you see anyone interrupting the, the say the Brazil well, you might not like that final what? it tasted something I suppose the fans sorry. would love sorry Dan say that again so, do you see anyone possibly interrupting the, the Argentina Brazil final well, the world would love a Brazil-Argentine final, mm. wouldn't it? Uh, and I, I love... I've been at so many Brazil-Argentina games now. I've been at all the World Cup qualifiers between them, which is... It's a pathetic thing to boast about. But I think <laughs> it's the biggest thing I've got, you know, of, of all the World Cup qualifiers. I should, played, I should interrupt at this point and say that when, when myself and Australian Dan said on Twitter shortly before leaving that we were recording a podcast with Tim Vickery tonight, somebody very quickly replied to me and said, please tell Tim that I would love his job. <laughs> so that's linked to it, it, it looks great from, from the outside <laughs> no. yeah. um, I don't know if you'd want to exchange paychecks I'm not too sure about that um, well yes I mean, the, uh, on Uruguay the last two Coppers semi-finals it went to penalties against Brazil right. and last time I was there for the game and Pablo Garcia one of the most experienced players all he had to do was put in his penalty and Uruguay were in the final and Brazil were out and he, he put it against the post. So, you know, mm. if, if that kick had been three inches to, to one side, mm. it's Brazil out and perhaps Dunga Tell me about it. I was living in Rio at, the, at that time. Yeah. And then Brazil got to the final, beat Argentina. I got my, my face painted in yellow and green by my colleagues. Yeah. I still remember that. I'm still looking forward for a revenge. <laughs> I got a kind of a revenge in the Olympics the, the following year. And, but that quite not compare too much well maybe that maybe Tim. that's because they're obsessed with winning the gold medal at the Olympics and in, in terms of um, Seb has covered a couple of tournaments before he's been to, to the Olympic Games in Beijing in 2008 
and he's been, uh, let's say, sitting back at us, myself, Australian Dan and English Dan, and, and laughing at us uh, to an extent at our childish glee because this is going to be the first tournament that any of us have been accredited for that, that we're going to have covered as journalists. They are virgins! Yeah, we're, we're losing our cherries in this respect. The first cut is the deepest. Um, and, and of course, we've, yeah. And, and we've made, we don't make too much of a secret about the fact that obviously, say myself and, and English Dan, if England play against Argentina, then, then we support England. Mm-hmm. Australian Dan, I imagine, he's, he's just gone to the toilet for our listeners, so he's not here to, to check, but I imagine it, if, um, if Australia play against Argentina, he supports Australia. But otherwise, you know, we support Argentina. Are you the same with Brazil, or, or do you not... Pati- obviously, we know it's good for work, you know, if they, if they keep winning, it's, it's good for us if Argentina can, keep can winning. Can I let you into a secret? And no one is ever allowed to say this ever again. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know any foreigner who's, who's been in Brazil for a period of time who's not secretly delighted when Brazil lose. Really? <laughs> no way! You, you get it shoved down your throat so much. I've never been to Brazil, I have to say. But it's so much. Right. Well, they've been I, to I've Brazil. heard something similar to people. No, but the thing about Brazil is, you know, and I figured that when I was interviewing Petkovic about the whole gringo thing, yeah. you know that... No matter where you come from, Petkovic no matter is, how long... Sorry, Ashley, but just to interrupt. Petkovic, for those who don't know, is this... Is he Flamingo Serbian? Serbian, Serbian playmaker. Flamingo. Well, he is considered the gringo, most loved gringo in mm. Brazil. And you know the story better because he's played in every possible club in Brazil for the last 15 years, 16 years. He came there as a young boy, like, like anyways. And he was telling me that he felt more Brazilian now, blah, blah, blah. But I sensed deep down, even though Brazilians are superbly more accepting than Argentines when some foreigner comes, you always will be a foreigner, no matter how long you live there. But in Argentina, after a couple of years, you're one of them. Yeah, once they accept you... This is an immigrant country. And maybe in Brazil, (laughs) quite like that. that. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, There's been a documentary about him just been released. Yeah, you called, guys saw the... It's called, or gringo. Gringo. And, uh, and that word gringo, that applies to Argentinians, yeah, Colombians, anybody. Peruvians, doesn't matter who's... Any foreigner. Any Anybody foreigner. who's not Brazilian. The, the world is divided into... T- it's like, Brazilian it's, and Brazilian it's, 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 it's a child's eye view of the world. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the me and the non-me and everything that is non-me is, is gringo. And th- there is some kind of prejudice in it sometimes, and it can vary. And sometimes it's done with a certain affection, but often there's a little bit of prejudice. The gringo is, is quite often ridiculous. He's a ridiculous figure. I have I to say, they fun. didn't call me gringo, they just called me Argentino Zafado. Yeah, that's Argentino Zafado, yeah, it's worse. <laughs> I, I know it's worse, but... Yeah, well, I'm going to very quickly butt in with... As listeners may be able to hear that I'm talking around some food in my mouth at the moment. Because we're, we're having good we get, food. Yeah, we are. We're hungry. We are. It's half past ten. We're getting very hungry. We've been recording for a while. We've, we've also been drinking wine whilst recording. And I, as the person who's holding the microphone and pointing it in people's faces as they're speaking, I need to get up and go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I'm going to put the microphone down and come back. And then very quickly, when I, when I get back, we're going to do what I know most of our listeners have been dying to hear, which is the comparison between the real life final Torneo Clausura tournament and the tournament as predicted by Mystic Dan. So whilst I'm taking a leak, let's say, um, I'm going to play Mystic Dan's theme music 
for our listeners, obviously, not for us who are sitting here in the room. And when and I I'm get going back, to we'll do eat that. Out the doll because yeah. I need to serve good food to my. Is it? And, and then, as Hasley has just said, we're going to sit down for dinner, uh, which our listeners will not be party to, I'm afraid. We're going to switch the dictaphone off before that. So I'll, I'll be right back. Lovely. We're, we're having our dinner served up for us while recording this last bit, but we're going to be quick, because... I know that this is the the one part of the uh, the season that everybody's really been waiting for. Long term listeners, those of us who aren't listening to us for the first time tonight, as a result of the fact that I've put Tim Bickery's name in the headline. <laughs> because I promised, I actually, you know, I gave him. This is his coima. <laughs> it smells fantastic. I have to say, I'm not looking at myself. Um, Long term listeners will be aware that throughout the tournament, Klausura. Australian Dan, or as he becomes for the last 10 or 15 minutes of each podcast, Mystic Dan, thank you, Ashley, um, has been predicting each round um, of the, just of the normal 19 games. He's, we didn't include the, the relegation playoffs, which is a shame, because if he predicted Belgrano <laughs> to win, then River might have stayed up. So we now have a drum roll and, and the final standings in comparison with the actual ones. He was the actual one. Now, I have to say, Australian Dan and English Dan already know the, the major, let's say, mistake that, that, that Dan made in this. Seb has been waiting to hear it live. Now, okay. I call it a, a cosmic misunderstanding. Yeah. A mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the stars didn't align properly, or it was cloudy one night, or something like this. Well, we talked about Mercury retrogrades and stuff. It yeah. Perfect everything. And in fact, I have just realised that the, the, I, I saw this Klausura table out of the, the paper from the day after River's relegation, which of course means that it doesn't include last Sunday's results. <laughs> so this is not the completely final table. Some of the positions might have changed. It and it's not in oh, okay. the one that we've got from today, which I was checking while we were recording. Um, but Bellas, of course, are the champions with 39 points. I, I, I can remember that they won the last game, so I'm adding that one on. Um, and Dan... <laughs> well, Dan, Dan was actually pretty accurate with that one. He had them third, but he did have them with... Had them with 38 points that was 10 victories 10 victories 8 draws and only 1 defeat and their, their actual record was 11 victories 3 draws and 4 defeats so that's not too bad on the face of things um, there are some Huracan were down at the bottom uh, Dan had them finishing level 19th and in, in actual life they finished 19th exactly um, albeit with with slightly more points Dan, Dan had Kilmes and Orakan both finishing on just five points <laughs> having, predi- having predicted zero draws and five sorry zero wins and, and five draws for both of them <laughs> their actual uh, the Klausura Kilmes finished 17th with five wins and five draws and Orakan managed three wins and five draws so at least you got, you got the number of draws right Dan uh-huh. whether you got the number of individual results right is another matter um, the biggest anomaly that I found was <laughs> Estudiantes. First of all, right, guys, Estudiantes on this table, they've only finished 18th. What was Estudiantes' final result? Did they win or lose? They, they beat um, All Boys, didn't they, 1-0? No. They lost to Arsenal. They lost to Arsenal, 1-0. Well done. Which means Estudiantes finished in 13th position with 24 points, with a final record of played 18, won 6, drawn 6, and lost 7. 
Australian Dan had them as champions. <laughs> <laughs> with 40 nice. points, having won 11, drawn 7, and lost... One, and that, that was the final day result that you pre- correctly predicted uh, the loss <laughs> to Aston Allen last week. They weren't as good as I thought. Yeah. 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 A lot of people no, there Mr. Dan found out that Savela was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <wrong. laughs> he seemed to take a while to cotton on to the fact that the Estudiantes weren't much good in this. Um, uh, the very quick rundown is Estudiantes uh, first... Th- these are Dan's results rather than the actual life ones. Estudiantes first, Banfield... Ambelis joint second Godoy Cruz and River joint fourth um, neither of which I should say River got relegated but of course they, they finished uh, sixth. Well, ninth in the Clausura but sixth overall so neither of those are actually a million miles away San Lorenzo in sixth Boca in seventh Racing in eighth Colón ninth Olimpo tenth and this will get very boring if I go all the way down so I'm going to try and post uh, the real life league table and, and Australian dance league table alongside each other on the blog post which wow. is in defence of myself go on. <laughs> please this is, the, this is my favourite part of any of the podcasts the, the part when you start with in defence <laughs> no I can't I, yeah I probably can't defend myself too much on this although I'd say a lot of that would be for the first half of the season thinking they were actually a good team mm. which they are on paper who were about to come out in the slump by time and yeah and a lot of, I would have probably put a lot of it down in the first half of the season to Libertadores commitments and then in the second half of the season thinking that they were going to pick up from yeah. that and they just never did the only other major anomaly of course was Lanus who finished on 38 points in second place mm-hmm. and who your table have finishing in 11th on 24 points yeah. um, it's probably down to the, the slow start and yeah no absolutely um, but it, it goes to show how difficult if nothing else the, the Argentine top flight is to to predict may become slightly more difficult next season with, with two teams in the upper tour at least who we're not going to know very much about relatively speaking San Martin and um, and the sides who've replaced Oracan and Gimnasia Union de Santa Fe right. and, I just want, and I want Union I want well Belgrano to be like upper tour sorry Belgrano I, I said just Belgrano like, when I meant not San only Martin. they managed to go the goal come up I mean managed to be on the first league and then if they play really well and they break all the possible things and they become pirates will be the champions. I think it will be, <laughs> yeah. it will be the great pirate story, you know. <laughs> you come, yeah. you're a pirate, you're... I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure Christina Kirchner would, would approve mm. quite so much. Who cares about It's ironic because the pirates have seen the Belgrano. Yeah. Absolutely. As I say, I'll try and get those league tables up. Um, linked in with this... T- Tim, I don't know whether you've ever tried to do on your podcast predictions of the Brazilian league each weekend. I don't think you'd be so foolish. Do you, th- do you think Brazil is quite so <laughs> so tricky to predict, or perhaps a little bit less now? Um, what we're seeing with a, with a long competition, because now we have thirty eight rounds, and the longer the competition, the e- probably the easier it is to predict because there's less chance for the for the real surprise factor to come through. Sure, but in, on a on a match-by-match basis, because I should say I've compiled this table based on the, the round-by-round predictions that Dan's been making. But it's still much, much less predictable than Europe. Right. Much less predictable. And my general rule with predictions is always make them after the event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Every bet looks like a, an obvious bet to make yeah. when you know the result. I, I can guarantee that even then, even doing that, passing matches will be difficult to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop recording now because we're all already starting to eat and I'd like to be able to put the microphone down and concentrate on the food in front of me fully. So ladies and gents, thank you very much for listening throughout the Klausura. 
if indeed you have been listening throughout the Klausura. If you've not, then we'll be back for the Apertura, so please stick around. I'll be putting up the iTunes link to subscribe on the blog post. If you want to visit the blog, then it's handofpod.wordpress.com, from where you'll be able to find links to all of our blogs, including Tim's excellent BBC blog on world, well, on South American football, of course, on the world football section on the BBC. So it's goodbye from me, Sam Kelly. Um, goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye and thank you for listening. Goodbye from Seba. Gracias, hasta la, hasta la próxima. <laughs> goodbye I can't from... even speak in Spanish. He's <laughs> <laughs> so spicy. The food is so spicy. <laughs> it's the, the hemorrhoids. <laughs> 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 goodbye from Ashley, our, our wonderful host and cook for tonight. Good night. Uh, thank you very much for, for having us. Goodbye from Australia, Dan. Uh, I'd just like to say thanks very much to, to Tim for coming. <coughs> Sorry, Tim for coming and Asla for hosting us tonight and cooking us a lovely dinner. Absolutely. And goodbye from Tim. Well, I've, been, I've been royally fed and um, <laughs> I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself. I yeah. Really, you know, le- I've learned lots over the, over the course of this chat. And let's have a special shout out for two people who are doing this in a second language or even a third language, perhaps. I do a fair bit of Brazil, Brazilian TV, and um, this kind of thing only without the food. And uh, you know, to do to do it in a second language, it's not difficult. It, sorry, it, it is difficult. It's not it's not easy at all doing it in a second language. We should possibly also just to sort out your just saying difficult instead of easy. Then uh, you possibly don't do it with quite as much booze as we. Do. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, you know, uh, you can launch into sentences, and then halfway through the sentence, you think, well. How on earth am I going to pass about this one? Uh, so, um, yep. a big shout out to, 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 to Sarah and, and Asley for, for doing this so well in a, in a second language. I think mean, that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. I think that perhaps in the future, you should insist that you all do a special one in Spanish, oh, yeah. and Asley should insist that you all do an even more special one. <laughs> that will be too much. I think if we, if we did one in Spanish, then we could probably. It wouldn't necessarily be perfect, but we could possibly fight through. If we did one in Turkish, it would last about five seconds. Yeah, I think Turkish will be impossible. Absolutely. We we won't be recording podcasts during the Copa America because... It would be Olum. Olum. Kankanabek. It's the one where the Turkish... I know. Because I used to live in London in a big Turkish region. There was this slogan dubbed on the wall, which was Socialismo or Olum. I could work out what socialismo meant. Yeah. Uh, and or looked to be or. But Olum, what was that? And the girl who cut my hair was Turkish. So I asked her and she said it was death. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but we're actually very peaceful people. Yeah. We cook for our hosts. Mm, you do, and you, you do it fantastic. You do a great job, yeah. We, we won't be able to record podcasts during the Copa America, partly because we'll, well, I certainly, and I'm the one who edits it, we'll be too busy. So I've actually got some work during the Copa America, which I'm thrilled about. But at the end, we won't do... We, we might do one after the Copa America, but also during the tournament, of course, um, uh, certainly the two Dans will be travelling around and, and trying to, to get to various games in, in other cities that aren't Buenos Aires or La Plata. But if you're going to be watching, of course, in, in the UK, ESPN have the rights and, and various other channels. YouTube are going to be streaming live uh, if you're not in a country with rights, and possibly if you are as well. Have, have a go and, and have a look and see whether you can get around it. Um, I'll try and post a link to that on the blog as well. Enjoy the Copa America, and we'll certainly be back in for a kind of preview of the Apertura, if not for a post-Copa America special. But thank you very much for listening for what's been five 
pretty enjoyable months, I have to say, during the club store. I've enjoyed doing the show, even if I've not enjoyed how it's ended with the river going down. <laughs> Apologies if you're a Bellis fan, of course, because we've virtually ignored your title win, as has everybody in Argentina. Um, and goodbye for now. Because, you know, like squirrel, squirrels, you're storing up points that might be useful in, in, in two years' time. Yeah. And, and even and more in, immediately for the Copa Libertadores in, at the end of the year. Yes. And yeah. And, and, and I'll say as well that I've actually written, both on my blog and in a, a Soccernet piece that was published, went online about half an hour before I left my house this evening. Um, uh, God, what was I going to say? I'm <laughs> auto-promoting you. It's a very hard impulse I to, know, to I know. If you start sentences and then can't remember what you're going to say <laughs> yeah, at your age, you're going to be like me, which one? I'm not really too wise. He's 52. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, 